supplementary statement of case or the supplement to the statement of case as we have referred to it where it can assist the court to address the matters that are an issue before it may be entertained where the supplementary statement of case can assist the court in addressing the matters before it, it may be entertained. Now, Lord, I would like to refer also to a decision which I do not yet have a certified to copy of, but a decision made on Tuesday by your Lordships in the case Republic versus the High Court. Party Attorney General, which also happened to be filed by us, that application was indeed to add grounds of review and to file a supplement, and that supplement was to address not only the additional ground of review, but that supplement was even to address a ruling of the court in respect of bias, which we had applied for, and we were still waiting to receive. That supplement was to address even that. And we were not allowed on the simple basis that the rules regarding review did not provide or did not allow for such Mr. Chief, if I recall, that supplement was also to allow you to fill in hopes that you had left in your submissions. So, if we can get back to we, this business, we, we, we did not, it was not meant to fill in hopes, and that may be your Lordship's interpretation. Your the hopes were number Q, N, and zero. I was uh, an O. I was actually part of that panel. Thank you. The, the whole, my, 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 your, your, ladyship, your ladyship, the grounds were numbered QRST. I'm not sure I know what the Q and, and O that you're referring to. The, the, my fundamental submission is that this court, in the exercise of its discretion in hearing a review, able to consider an application for a supplement to the statement of case. So that is uh, lead counsel for John Mahama, Chachu Chikata, uh, arguing at the Supreme Court. And I think you had the uh, Justice Gertrude Tokono at some point interject. Uh, and there was a huge controversy about the uh, questions, the 12 questions that uh, Chachu Chikata wanted the chairperson of the EC to answer. Now, at some point, the legal team of the NDC described the seven-member panel as unfair and unbalanced. But the president's legal team uh, defended the selection. Listen to Kojo Ponkuma. Often in matters like this, you have the most senior judges of the NDC is on a path to smear and undermine the integrity of the Supreme Court and the justices of the Supreme Court. The NDC 
is on a path to smear and undermine the integrity of the Supreme Court and the justices of the Supreme Court. And they are doing that because they are clear in their mind that this petition before the courts is a ruse. And I explain to you. The first evidence you notice is Muntaka Mohammed Mubarak, who goes on national television and alleges without more, just a mere allegation, that a Supreme Court judge has been involved in calling one NDC um, member of parliament elect, trying to convince him to vote for um, uh, Speaker Michael Quay during the election of uh, Speaker. The real object of that allegation is to begin to poison the wells ahead of this litigation. If the Chief Justice sits on a panel or does not sit on a panel, uh, justice may or may not be uh, delivered. That when you have a panel of seven or a panel of nine, it can affect whether or not justice will be delivered. And that when you have an older or a younger bench, it can affect how justice may or may not be delivered. Um, it is one of the most bogus analysis that I have ever had when it comes to jurisprudence. So, Kojo Ponkumada, he spoke for the legal team of President Ikufado. I want to start with you, Samson, on this one. Um, it was quite a long one for us, uh, relatively short uh, compared to the uh, 2012 election petition. Uh, what would, for you, be the impact of this election petition uh, on our legal system? Well, talking about the court, uh, don't forget that we have, uh, I think, over a dozen parliamentary seats that are being contested and I think one of the you know perhaps the bad sight that we may see about the parliament going forward as in accepting our faith in being returning and conducting themselves a lot more better will be the outcome of this uh, legal challenge so that if the, the outcome may change the character of the parliament mm-hmm. for good or for bad. If uh, the cases were determined expeditiously and the MPP wins enough to shift the numbers in their favor, they may be encouraged to go about things without building consensus as Chairman who clearly appears to be leading his side and to a personal results that we have seen over the period. The old order will they have been used to will become the, the the order of the day again where they just go on with everything without any opposition they ignore the opposition uh, they won't listen to anything and move on uh, but again if most of those uh, parliamentary outcomes favor the NDC then we also may be likely to see a parliament that will unnecessarily unnecessarily work to seek to defeat government business when they don't have to do so. So we are praying that if these things happen, um, they will all be minded that building a country must be the foremost thing on their mind and mm. not their parochial partisan interest or election between interest. Mm. Now... To the um, presidential petition. I have said from day one that the NDC had issues, uh, the manner in which they approach the court. Well, the court too appears to have been ready 
to receive a petition that was in the fashion of, if you like, the usual way, uh, like what happened in uh, 2012. Unfortunately, the NDC went to court on a different time and didn't intend to proceed in the manner that when the NPP went to court, they did, where they had to mash out pink sheets. And in their pleadings, the way they put the document in the court, they did the mathematical numbers, uh, polling stations, codes with our serial numbers, uh, sheets that are unsigned, that signatures, and the rest of them. And they tabulated, and all the judges agreed on a number of the issues in favor of the of the FPP then. Uh, but some of them disagreed and majority disagreed on the 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 price of the petition being that the cumulative effect would not affect the the the, the overall uh, result as were declared uh, in the sense that the, the the votes that were being challenged, the manner in which the transparent manner in which everybody else was involved in polling uh, agents were involved in and all of that, you cannot punish the voter uh, for the sins of the polling station officer or an agent who has done a bad job. Now, when they went to court this time uh, in the NDC, they took a different mode. So the the court's expectation appears to have been that the, the suit should have been cut in the mood of what had happened in 2012. And when they didn't find it that way, it does appear to be from the very start that they saw a challenge. You are not throwing up the figures and you are not challenging specific figures. You only have issues with declarations and the manner in which they have been done. Um, and election petitions over the world um, are detected on the question of what the numbers you intend to you contest uh, will do to the overall uh, impact or the results. And they didn't get that. And they started, for me, which was very poor, um, even though most of us lawyers encounter some of these things a uh, certain time. But a serious matter like this, and the time for which they had to get ready, prepare, and file the suit, it was unpardonable that they made the mistakes that they made, that they had to go to the court and make corrections. Corrections which, if they were not careful, could have been denied. But I have said that those corrections were corrections that would be allowed any, on any occasion. So on that score, I find that uh, they didn't seem that ready. Now, in the court process, to you know, you know, suit and the success of it, or not, Jim Mensah, the electoral commission chairperson, was going to testify, was also another bad way to approach it. So uh, I think they have themselves to blame largely for the outcome, but they have 
successfully, you know, played the the mind of the of the public, those who perhaps have not been uh, too educated around the law, to say that oh, this is a person who is running away from um, accountability, uh, and that this is the place where she was supposed to account and she didn't make herself available. And, you know, the public bought into that. Even journalists bought into that. But from where I sit, uh, a clear analysis of the process, that doesn't come into the, the, the equation at all. Mm. It's, the, that could only be an issue that you will play up in the public gallery okay. and get sympathy for it, not in the courtroom. Interesting. And so, uh, largely, they have themselves to blame for the way the suit turned out in the Supreme Court. Mm. And I think that from the way things were, the judges had no hesitation. They had no hesitation legitimately to throw them out. In fact, I had an expectation that the preliminary legal objection that the NPP took against the suit would have been upheld and then the suit would have, you know, would have died without seeing all that went on. Mm. So that the very first few days, the preliminary legal objection, if it had been, if it had been taken mm. and found to have been worthy, the suit would have, would have gone. And that would have been literally a, a technical knockout and, and the suit would not have been heard. Uh, but, but let me come to you, Kojo. Uh, you and I, we are not learned people like Samson. Uh, the, the events that characterized the, uh, that preceded the filing of the petition, where you had supporters uh, pouring out to the streets, being led by uh, party members, some MPs. At some point, we had uh, the MPs uh, involved in a standoff with the police, some arrests being made. Uh, what do you make of the handling of that and government's reaction uh, to that? Hello, Kojo? Kojo, you have to unmute your device. Well, we seem to have a connection to Kojo's uh, uh, connect, uh, line there. Uh, Samson, let, let me put that to you. The handling of, of, of the events that preceded uh, the filing of, of, of the petition. Well, again, uh, you know, I said earlier, and then these were happy about it, what I said. What you heard, for example, McMenu suggests that even the NDP court told that it didn't, it didn't act. Then the NDP comes out and says, yes, that's good, we're going to do this. Then when you say you have done something that's bad, that they come at you, you know, the you know, and some very good friends of mine who are there and who testified. You know, certainly it cannot be fetched anymore. But of course, that's part of our job that we do. Um, leading to the protest, and particularly that is the point where they had this, was it an accountant or some article guy, you know, who found the numbers and it was on social media and showing us the tickets. And even before, look, Dr. Ketwatawa, told us clearly where a certain huge figure, you know, was was something that could not be entertained. Then they show up in court and you don't find that in their on, on their paper. 
and they, they want the member to step in and then they use process permission to do what? And to be frank with you, I looked at that compared with communication public. And I could tell how they were deceiving the public all along. Because look, your pleading is good. And if you set strong points that both polling that there were places that you know, certain speakers, they spoke about shanty reading from huge numbers that they spoke about. You don't sign them in your, your document? Come on. You, it, you can only defeat mm. the public who are gullible. Mm. You know, the sector of the public that is gullible and that is for the law, that you would need the member to come in before you would not bring these things up. Because it will not work. Mm. You can't only really raise those matters in court examination and expect that that will become trust of your suit. So the, the process is leading to it, and they get hope. They, they did these you know, permutations and through us, the, when you watch, the way they did it, you were more likely to believe than not uh, believe them. And then eventually they filed, they filed the suit, and the suit was fully a technical, legal basis. It doesn't contest numbers. Clearly mm. speaking, that was disappointing. Uh, Kojo is back with us this time on the phone. Kojo, uh, do you think that John Mahama conceding defeat in that petition helped matters security-wise? Well, it did, and, and that, was, that was sort of in keeping with what we expect statesmen to do. Unfortunately, it was short-lived because as recently as October uh, 2021, 15th of October on a Friday in Cape Coast, uh, during his thank you tour, John Mahama said, and I quote, you could see that the court had predetermined the decision it was going to take on the matter. And he was referring to the election petition. That I thought was unfortunate. That is not statement-like mm. uh, to suggest that um, the Supreme Court uh, had a prejudiced uh, you know, uh, judgment against him um, after accepting the ruling. You know, so so it all feeds into a lot of the politics that were surrounding this election petition. It wasn't a three-dimensional court case. It was a political move which had to play out at that stage in court, in the Supreme Court. But it was a political move. Mm-hmm. And as you will remember that before the petition was filed, and you remember how long it took for the petition to be filed, it was filed at the very last minute. Indeed. But before it was filed... The narrative that the NDC was putting out there through um, their general secretary, uh, their, their um, uh, um, the, what, what do parties have again? Chairman? Yeah, the, the chairman yeah. of the party? Through the, the chairman of the party. Um, and and uh, many of the executives, uh, uh, as well as Sami Jemfi, the narrative they were putting out there was that the NDC won. But the EC declared for the NDP that the NDC won, that the election was stolen. The term stolen verdict was being bandied about. But when the petition was filed, the case that President Muhammad, the petitioner, put forward was that nobody won. Not that the NDC won and that the NDP was given the 
the victory unconstitutionally, but that nobody won. Now, you hear that and you think to yourself that, okay, maybe they've actually looked at the numbers and realized that it's not that they won. It's just that there wasn't enough for anyone to be declared a winner. But either way, they've looked at the numbers and revised their position. But then they went to court and they had no numbers. So throughout the proceedings, we never saw the NDC's evidence for their case in terms of electoral data. We never saw it beginning to end. So it started to look as if the whole point of that election petition mm. was to play the Chachuchikata card. Now, Chachuchikata is a very talented lawyer. In fact, it is easy to imagine Chachuchikata winning any case on cross-examination. That's how good he is. So it would appear that the whole plan, the whole time, was to get Chachuchikata to cross-examine G. Mensa. The petitioner was convinced that something had gone wrong. You the win a petitioner case was quite clear in his mind not on that the Electoral Commission had made a mistake. Mm. So all they wanted to do was to get that admitted in court. Mm. And no one can get that done better than Tachiki Chikata in the mind of the petitioner. And we saw that hard as he tried, uh, the judges were quite resolute exactly. on what they wanted fact, uh, to the do end, and on the, the procedures. In the end, it was not the judges. Mm. The, the respondents played chess. They simply decided not to make the move, mm. not to put the witness on the stand. Mm. As for the Supreme Court, they simply had to determine whether that was procedurally correct or not. And they determined that it was correct. Mm. Well, if you're listening to us, uh, Kojo, we, we want to hear from our listeners as well. If you're listening to us, uh, your views and comments are welcomed on the WhatsApp console, 55 Maybe later, uh, towards the end of the program, we'll open the phone lines for you to call and join in. But I just want us to move quickly uh, to the other event uh, this year, which is the uh, COVID-19 and how government handled it. There was the controversy about the procurement of the Sputnik V vaccine. But first, let's start with this. The procurement of of uh, nose masks for students and concerns raised by some MPs, including former MP Inusa Fuseni, and all of that. Let's listen to those sounds. Uh, why, why did you decide not to wear it to school? No, no reason. Yes. Why? Why not told to come yeah. with a nose mask when you are coming to school? My own school. Your own school. I think three children sit on a dual deck, and some, some of them don't even have sitting places. So to practice social distance here in our school, I don't think it's going to be possible. Unless otherwise, something is done immediately about that. What's the, we need more chairs for the, the children. Guys are now they are sitting three, and some don't, don't even have seats to sit. So to practice social distance means that one should sit at one dual deck, and that is even going to be another problem. There was a came here some four years ago, and I think that is the situation since. We managing what the old furniture will have. We also expect that in agreeing on the times, teachers and the students will be conscious of how these children can go back home in safety. And then, of course, it's also important for us to note that under the circumstances in which we find ourselves, we close early so that children can get home as early as possible. Well. And you see, also because of COVID-19, the student needs some amount of rest. 
So these are sounds from the very uh, early part of this year when the government procured some uh, uh, face masks for students and put in place the protocols and, and, and expected schools to observe all of that. But later, we, we knew about the controversy that characterized the uh, procurement of the vaccine. And this came up led by the, uh, me- the, the, the ranking member on the Health Committee of Parliament, Kwabna Minta Kando. So I do not want to jump the gun. Not until we present our reports, we have not finished our work. So anything at all can happen. Any recommendation will be found in the report. And when it is laid, I know you have copies of the reports. I want to start with you, Samson, on this. The report eventually came, the report on the uh, probe, the parliamentary probe into the vaccine. Uh, disappointed in, 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 in what we eventually uh, saw in that report? Well, the, the event leading to uh, that investigation uh, left us no doubt that the minister clearly was not the one who was in the thick of affairs as far as the procurement processes in these things were concerned except that he's a sector minister, so he has to take the fall. Unfortunately, uh, that also clearly is the reason uh, he became almost irremovable and could not be disciplined. Uh, so let's not kid ourselves. That the reason the president couldn't participate, uh, despite the clear, you know, uh, report by a bipartisan committee of the NPP indicting him every step of the way, breaching our constitution, breaching our procurement laws. Every imaginable law you know he was supposed to follow, he breached it. And he himself, you know, says, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't know about this, I didn't know about that. The reason the president couldn't discipline him and he became almost irremovable, untouchable. It's because the facts remain. He was not the ethic of affairs, except that it's a ministry, and things later have to be foisted on salt on him. And he had to, you know, the help to stay safe for, for things that are clearly decisions that were made. Um, so my biggest point is in the fact that we have given such a bad, you know, uh, impression out there that you are within the gap. You can break all the laws. You can break it in the teaching and still have a job. You know, mm-hmm. if it's uh, an opposition who has done something false, that person will be pursued, they will be stopped with causing financial loss, they will be harassed. You know, that tells you that the democracy is still not giving evidence that it's supposed to. And that's the reason uh, some of us think that the country's style of development, mass movement, may generate into bigger ones that government will not have comfort. Mm-hmm. Parliament may not have any comfort zone to open. 
the things will be forced from the ordinary and you must play according to the stakes or you can't stop them. Things will happen that way if the guy is in charge, you know, mm. here to want to take everybody for granted. And Kojo, what what do you make of the minority's position on this, and especially when it came to the probe? Uh, aside from Kovnamita Kando, we also saw uh, Muntaka Mubarak and how he conducted himself on that committee. Uh, what is your take on that? Um, this was a strong moment for Parliament. Uh, unfortunately, in the end, uh, the, the you know the sum effect of all of their effort was zero. But you saw a lot of effort at the committee level of individual parliament members seeking the truth. They asked the tough questions. Um, again, Alhaji Muntaka Mubarak stood out as a person who understands procedure, but is also a lateral thinker who can ask important questions and seek information for the knowledge of the whole nation. They, they really shone in that moment, and they deserve uh, commendation for that. But unfortunately, this thing was a mess from the beginning. You see, as a nation, we've gone through the pains of writing laws, very beautifully written laws. People travel from their countries to come and learn how we write our laws. But our implementation is so impoverished. Look at the Public Procurement Act and how it clearly spells out what to do if there is a need for emergency procurement. It's all spelled out. Whether the thing has to go through cabinet, parliament, there are procedures to do it on an emergency basis. And these procedures are there for a reason. Because all it takes is one bad person to come along and say, we have an emergency, and use that as an excuse to break all our laws to his benefit and the benefit of others and to the detriment of the nation. All it takes is one. So to protect us from that, we have written all these laws. The health minister admits to breaking these laws. It's not like he's been accused and he's denied them. He admits that he circumvented them. His excuse is that we were not in ordinary times. And the president looks on. In fact, he jokes about it. The president went to pass jokes about how the health minister is, is uh, facing the wrath of the people. left and right. He was making jokes about it. But the man had admitted to breaking the law. But, but this he was in his backyard. This was in the home of the minister. You expected him to take chances politically? Well, I expected him to be presidential. So if you can't... If, so look, if you, if you don't think you can take the right moral position on something, how about keeping your mouth shut? Is that not an option? Is that not even the more prudent option? How do we describe silence? Don't they say it's golden? Why do you go and make a joke about it? When the man has admitted breaking the law. But you see, you have to think about certain things. There is some nuance to this. Maybe the president didn't have a choice in his mind. Because those payments that were made to the company that had been illegally contracted to supply us with vaccines. Those payments were authorized by the finance ministry and the Bank of Ghana. So really, if we are going to hold 
people accountable for doing the wrong thing, we would have to hold the finance ministry accountable too. And we saw evidence of that, evidence of the transaction from the finance ministry to the Bank of Ghana and, and all of that. Absolutely. So we would then have had to hold everybody to account. Then we'll be opening up a can of worms. Maybe that is the real reason why the president found himself impotent to act when it came to the finance minister. Or maybe, sorry, when it came to the, uh, the health minister. Or maybe it goes even further back. Maybe the president lost the moral right to condemn anybody for their behavior when it comes to COVID because of how he and other members of government behaved earlier in the year when they attended Sir John's funeral and it turned into a super spreader event. Mm. Maybe that was when he lost the moral right to point the finger at anybody for doing the wrong thing for COVID. Because otherwise, it, it baffles me that the president who calls for accountability, who encourages the attorney general to prosecute people who do the wrong thing, would have somebody, a member of his own cabinet, admit to breaking the law. And all he does is approve the guy to go and leave. <laughs> Could you... Uh, Bennett, yeah, yeah, Samson, you, you can carry on yes, there. And, and, and so that we don't forget that this minister actually committed perjury. He told a lie before oath. parliament. Mm. And, and that too, there's no consequence for it. Come on. I sit on news files just moderating a program. And I, when I was not wearing masks, even there were times when I used the face uh, shield or what is it? Yes, the face shield, yeah. Uh, yes, and, and they came at me that that is not protective. And we're giving a bad example to the public. We need you guys who are doing important shows like Newsfile to continue to wear the mask and to encourage people to do so. And yet, what did they do? The politicians themselves, what did they do? We saw them, the executive lawbreakers. This is the 2021 year in review here on Joy 99.7 FM. Samson Ladia Yanini and Kojo Yangson, host of the Super Morning Show, helping me to do the analysis on some of the major stories we brought to you this year. And uh, gentlemen, I want us to move away from the uh, executive, from parliament and from the courts to talk about education. There was a matter, even though education took us back to the court, it was about the enrollment of two Rastafarian students to Achimota's school. Here are some of the sounds we brought to you during the coverage of those stories. Director of the school to admit the two students, the two Rastafarians, um, if I may put it that way. Yeah. Why? Well, and we heard that um, they've been denied of admission and we thought that um, that wasn't the right decision by the school. Our mandate as Ghana Education Service is to provide quality education to every Ghanaian child, irrespective of its political religion and um, ethnicity and what have you. So if the school has to engage the parents, this is not the first time we are having a affairs in the school. It's all about internal communication. It's all about engaging the parents and advising the students and helping them wash their hair, bleach them, keep their hair neat. Once they focus on their studies and it doesn't affect anything in council, we feel that the school has to admit them. This is not the first time. We fight the master students, some of them in some of the senior high they have completed. Currently we have one or two in some of our senior high schools and we don't have any issues with them. 
Now, if Achimota School has a rule like this, then it's possible that people in the past have been denied admission and we were not aware as a country. Does the GES intend to take any action against the school? No, well, we, that hasn't come to our attention. So if they have changed off some people in the past, we didn't hear of that. And what has come to our attention is what we have told them to. So that is uh, Cassandra Chumampo for the Public Relations Officer for the Ghana Education Service and that interview with my colleague Daniel Dazi. Well, the uh, NAGRAT, that's the National Association of Graduate Teachers, also reacted to this. Let's hear from President Angel Kabonu. We are calling on the Ghana Education Service to redirect the headmistress and the staff of Achimota Senior Senior High School to ensure that the rules and regulation of Achimota Senior High School and indeed any other senior school is abided by by every student. The school is not a fashion environment. The school is not an environment to exhibit one's religious beliefs. The school is an environment for training and conformity is part of training. And we expect every student to abide by the rules of the school. Nagrat welcomes anyone who will want to go to court on this issue and on issue of discipline in our schools. But that when that court issue comes up, Nagrat will attach itself because we are an interested party. That court case will not be limited into the wearing of Rasta. It will be expanded into the establishment of rules and regulation of our schools. If the courts decide that everybody can do whatever he or she likes, you all be our guests as teachers. We will also develop ways and means of ensuring that we have proper chaotic school environment. That is uh, Angel Kabonu, president of Nagat. Kojo, this was huge. I want to start with you on this. This was very huge, very controversial. We spent weeks talking about it. Um, I, I know your position on this. You thought this was much ado about nothing. But, but let's start with the uh, coherence or lack of it on the part of the Ghana Education Service when this started, mm. on, on the policy of, of you know, the dressing of students in schools. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, the whole debate on this thing was a little bit upside down. The loudest voices on the matter were the people who had the least locus on the issue, and that's the teachers. And the quietest voices on the matter were the people whose uh, direction was most needed, and that was the Ghana Education Service. You see, if they had taken this as a systemic issue and issued a set of directives by which all schools must conform, rather than making it a sort of individualistic case-by-case, let us engage Achimota and see what they think type of situation, we wouldn't have had this discussion. It would have been a simple matter of issuing a directive. From now on, uh, hair is not uh, you know, part of uniform. Or from now on, hair must meet a uniform standard. If they had issued a simple directive one way or the other, it would have ended the matter. But they didn't. And I don't know why. I don't understand what kind of politics were at play here. I don't really understand how one school, Atimota, held so much sway that the Ghana Education Service lost its way in a matter that was directly under their purview. As for the, the, the teachers, and Angel Carbonu in particular, who, by the way, I know personally, I think is a great gentleman, but for the first time, I found myself disagreeing with every single thing he had to say on this matter. 
I mean, that, that voice you just played, where he said, the school is a place for training and conformity. It's a part of training. Look, let's remind ourselves of something. There are places where conformity is a part of the training. Like in the military or in the uh, security services. There is a need for an individual who is being uh, subsumed into the military, for example, to be trained to lose his or her individuality and only see him or herself as part of a unit. For that person to put aside his or her own individuality and personality and consider him or herself a weapon deployed for the defense of a nation. There is a need for that sort of mental brainwashing to happen. So bring out your personality. That's why you wear uniform. That's why you have a haircut. That's why you don't have facial hair. That's why all the things you might have chosen to do on your own, you are banned from doing when you are in the military or in any of the security services. But when you send your child to school, are you sending them there to be brainwashed, to lose their individuality, for them to no longer be a person? Are you sending them there to become soldiers? So why was Angel Carboni talking about conformity being a part of training in a school? And you see, the thing that interested me the most was that he really thought that somehow, if you allow someone to wear their hair a certain way, it is unlocking the key to chaos. That if one person does it, then others will do it. And then somehow, teachers will find it difficult to teach. If you are given a classroom full of people in loincloth and you are a teacher, you teach them. That is all. If you can't do that, then you can't be a teacher. You can't come and complain that because of somebody's hair, you are unable to carry out your duty as a teacher. Mm. Therefore, if, if people are allowed to come in with any kind of hair, you will also contribute to chaos. That's what Angel Carboni said. But the, the, for him, but, but Kojo, for him, standardization was also very important. And you, you hear him talk about a, a holistic training of the child and not just with, 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 with learning. And, and that but was that, very important for him. That means we have not developed beyond 1950 in this country. If that is really what his view is, that in order to train a child, that child must lose his or her individuality. Then we are still in 1950. Mm. By the way, in fact, we are probably before 1950 because in the 50s, in America, they were sending people to the moon. Could you hold could you hold it there hold it there for me? Let, let me let me ask something about this uh, from the legal angle. This was in court. I remember Raswayo was full of praise for the uh, judge who, who sat on this case. Um I, 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 I if my memory serves me right, the state intended to uh, you know ch- challenge this again in court. But do you think the ruling on this settles it, Samson? You started with Kojo saying you knew his position. How about me? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't quite recall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I moderated a number of shows on it. And I came out and people said they knew my view. Uh, sadly, I don't have a view on this. Except that I find that in this country, a few times we project a lot of illogic and waste time 
on things that are really not necessary. It's the reason we will spend weeks arguing and we have issues that Muslim girls have to wear their hijabs to school and we don't have any problems that nuns will dress the way they dress and we can't uh, accept a Muslim woman wear a hijab to work and some places we discriminate against that and once you say you know, project the argument the way Kujo just did. Then people say, oh, uh, how about the traditionalist guy? He will also say that by his own tradition, um, he doesn't have to bath. He will not take a shower for months. And so he should also be allowed to be in the school. Or he will come to school naked. And that should be allowed. And we project a whole host of illogic. And we say if you allow this, that's the floodgates you are opening. I can't imagine that we spend our energies and time, you know, doing all of this to ourselves. Um, so, could you? That's how I disappoint you. Mm. Uh, but, but, but that's not all that happened on the education front, and I think that's that... An appeal. That's, that's an appeal, though. That's an appeal that is pending. Mm. Okay. So, so, so we'll follow that and see how, how that pans out. But th- that was not all on the education front. We remember the issue of uh, fasting in Wesley Girls High School. Uh, let's, let's bring back the sound of um, the spokesperson of the chief imam, uh, Sheikh Aramayal Shaibu, who spoke uh, on this on Newsnight uh, earlier this year. Really, we must all get to address this thing so that when we can address it once and for all, it will be helpful because it has security implications. The anger is something that terrorists can exploit. I have no doubt in that. Let us not provide the soft spot for terrorists to see to say that Muslims are mistreated in Ghana and so therefore they can recruit. Mm. I tell the Minister of National Security, it's a matter for national security and they must get involved. I know the Peace Council was involved in this and uh, we spoke to the uh, Chief Whip, the Minority Chief Whip, Muntaka Bubarak, who was pushing for a final resolution on this matter. I'm not sure if this was quite settled. Could you, do, do you recall? I don't recall any further development on that story. Um, but I do remember the sentiments around the time that it first happened. I, both of my sisters went to Wesley Girls, so you can well imagine that in my house this came up for very thorough debate. I can imagine. Uh, yeah. Um, look, uh, I think the school had been lulled into a sense of self-entitlement over years of being allowed to make such decisions about their students without anybody questioning them. But in reality, these are very deep matters that cannot be left to the headmistress of a school to decide. No, I don't really think that even though I pay school fees and leave my child in your care for several months at a time, I would want you to determine whether or not my child can freely practice the tenets of her religion. I really don't think that it should be left to a headmistress or any head of an institution of, of education study to determine the religious and spiritual growth of a child. But we do it. We allow it. So, you know, kids go to Catholic schools and they are forced to go to uh, Catholic mass. Or, you know, they go to uh, 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 the Methodist school and they are forced 
to, to go to Methodist church service, even though they are Muslim. We've done this for such a long time. But that then became our argument for normalizing what happened in Wesley Girls, which on any day should not have been right. But in the end, the child and her parents agreed to go along with what the school said. And to me, that ends the matter, because in the end, religion is a personal and individual thing. They say we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So I suppose they worked it out with their school. I don't know who feared and who trembled, but we didn't hear much more after that. Indeed, we didn't hear much more after that. And uh, let's move to another issue. This one, I know Samson's view on it, to burn or not to burn. And um, we had, uh, you know, quite some time discussing Operation Halt. The tax force set uh, fire on excavators and bulldozers belonging to uh, an NPP's woman, uh, the women's organizer of the NPP, uh, Kate Jinfoa, the constituency chairman of the opposition NDC in Etua West, uh, one of the hotspots for Galamsey activities, shut down this approach by government in fighting illegal mining. Listen. Some of us felt that the approach was wrong because you cannot use the military and the police to guide the mining site throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the year. And for that matter, there should have been a consented effort by having a consultative assembly or meeting where the public would dialogue with the state officials. There's no Galamse in Accra. There's no Galamse going on in the Kumasi metropolis. You get it in the aspect of some of the districts within the Ashanti region, but not the Kumasi metropolis. But when you come to the communities where the mining is done, that is where the engagement must start. The National Association of Small-Scale Miners also took on the military for allegedly uh, burning the excavators and equipment belonging to uh, some of their members. In fact, they threatened a court action. Yes, we want clarification on the president's directives to the military. That is, did the president order the military to burn excavators on site or seize them? This is a question that we need answers to be answered. For example, uh, the military were asked to go on river bodies, but we have a situation whereby they veer off and they went to communities whereby there are lances, small-scale miners, and they went burning their equipment. The other one that we want clarification or we want to find out or see how best can't the government liaise with the Mirrors Commission for the names of small-scale block out areas across the country and share with the deployed military personnel to prevent them from harassing illegally licensed miners? So what was the minister's position on this? Here's Abu Jinnabo. The resolve of President Akufuado is total and unflinching, and we cannot afford to waver at any stage of the ongoing crusade. Distinguished guests, humbly, I will want to submit strongly my view on the ongoing debate on the decommissioning and demobilization of excavators used for mining. When a country is confronted with extraordinary problems, extraordinary measures ought to be deployed. The use of excavators for mining on our river bodies is an extraordinary problem which requires extraordinary measures to deal with it. Samson, let me start with you on this one. And uh, we're wrapping up in the next five minutes. Unfortunately, we couldn't touch on yeah. some of the uh, other stories, but this was quite key for you. Yeah, my biggest disappointment with uh, Abu Zinapur, who is doing a very good job, uh, a good friend of mine. But I'm not too sure 
uh, he thinks of me the same way after my criticism of these markets. Um, yes, extraordinary situations may require extraordinary approaches. Uh, there's the need for there's an extraordinary situation in Parliament. What do you think we should do? If you march in there with the army, drive them out, and then reconstitute, pick some people to become MPs and start working? No. When you are in a constitutional republic, it's the law you use. What does the law say about how to demobilize a starvated? The money that the, uh, the Minerals Commission have been collecting, including for the purposes of attaching uh, monitors to excavators, to know if the excavator that moves and goes into a mining field, and how to set charge for all of these things and hold the owners responsible. What is happening to those money? Okay, so to think that you've done something, the president supports you, and therefore you have the law supporting you, it's unheard of. And I, I say today, mm. that is the most egregious, illegal, unconstitutional conduct that one of the unconstitutional conduct that this government has don't and allowed itself to get into in the name of using extraordinary measures to deal with that extraordinary situation. They will say, oh, who has come to complain? When the state is against you, it's not, it's not that simple. Other people who are in this thing, who have approached me to say, we want to sue. And I tell them, I can't represent you. For very good reason, I want to keep to myself. Mm. You know, not that they don't have a case, they have a solid case. But when the state is against you and it matches it, you know, whole, you know, uh, power against you, it can be very disturbing. So it was illegal. It will remain illegal. It will remain a block on, on that minister's, you know, work and this president's, you know, um, uh, regime for that approach. Even if, even if the end justifies the means. Exactly. So one of the things I think we should be doing next year is to uh, track, you know, the the progress of Operation Halt, uh, how it's fared so far. That's so. Yeah. Uh, and, and Kojo, we're running out of time on this. Uh, I, oh. I just wanted to touch on this very final one quickly in just two minutes. We, we had our own fight as journalists. And, and there was one uh, we picked up from Adabraka, where my good friend Caleb Kuda was assaulted uh, by uh, national security operatives. Um, the national security ministry's response to this for you was what? How do you describe it? Uh, well, they, they passed the buck. Uh, may, maybe that was just a smart move. Because, uh, honestly, by handing over the culprits to their origin institutions, they divorced themselves from responsibility for what happened to Caleb Kuda. In essence, they, they left it to the military, the police, wherever these people came from, those institutions, to deal with them on an issue, an event, that they didn't carry out while they were under the direct supervision of those institutions. So as you can see, different things happened. The person who was named at the center of it, the one who actually orchestrated the beating of Kelakuda, ended up being in some way promoted to become the commander of 64 Battalion. We are still waiting for this action, so-called action that is to be taken against him. All it tells you is that 
all of these institutions, well, let me put it this way, none of these institutions openly is against what happened to Kelakuda, which means it will happen again. Mm. I wonder who it will be next. Maybe you, maybe me. We, we, we hope way, it doesn't We can't care. rely on any state institution to mm. actually take action if any of us are assaulted at the hands of those who are supposed to protect us. Mm. We hope it doesn't recur. Kojo, I want to thank you for your time. And Samson, thank you so much for joining us on this review. There were many other stories we could not touch on. Uh, there were other stories that came through, but unfortunately, uh, we, we don't have time to go through all of that. The year ended for us here at Multimedia, especially for those of us with joy, on a very sad note, losing our boss, the general manager, Elvis Kwashi. And um, we say that may his soul rest in peace. I am absolutely grateful to God for him. He's been instrumental in me coming this far. That's it for our show tonight. Many thanks for your company. I'm Ernest Menu. Enjoy the rest of our programs and a happy new year. In cash, airtime, and data. And Kosuo Vodafone. Simply dial star 533 hash or go to my Vodafone app to redeem your reward. Recharge via my Vodafone app or Vodafone cash to win even more red coins. Yes, 2 million Ghana cities worth of prizes up for grabs. No draws, no sign on. Oh, be a winner. And Kosuo Joe, and Kosu. Terms and conditions supply. Vodafone. Charlie, this festive season, eh? Because I did choose sports action. I did choose local drama where you get plot twists. I did choose world-class music. I did choose romantic shows where they be. For kiddies, I did choose cartoon shows where laugh and quade. Make you choose over 80 channels full of joyful entertainment. Choose DSTV for 169 Ghana cities per AB Standard, the HD Decoder, Discate, and one-month DSTV access package all day long. DSTV, it's your moment. We have such great Christmas traditions. Like the Piccadilly biscuits. And the Kaka Moto <laughs> And Christmas shoes. How about the big? 
family jollof party. Oh yeah! You remember the Bonnie M Christmas album? <laughs> and I remember Home Alone until you were watching my phone. Oh yeah! Whatever your family's Christmas traditions, you can bring the family together this Christmas with the Vodafone Fixed Broadband Too Much Christmas promo. With up to 200% more data, just add a minimum of 100 Ghana cities to your monthly fixed broadband bundle. And enjoy more data this Christmas. Dial star 900 hash. Visit fbb.vodafone.com.gh or download my Vodafone app to subscribe. Terms and conditions apply. Vodafone. We are so proud of you for setting up this hospital. I really love those hospital beds and waiting chairs. By the way, did you import them? No, Dad, I didn't. I actually got them from Kindle Books and Stationery right here in Ghana. Wow. We also bought our office supplies, safes, executive desks and chairs from Kingdom, and they gave us expert advice on how to set up our office. Guys, that makes three of us. I also got our sofa and bedroom sets plus our dining hall furniture for our new home from Kingdom. Wow, Mom, that makes four of us. I usually get my stationery items from Kingdom and my teacher also mentioned that our classroom furniture was provided by Kingdom. So there you have it. Whenever you're thinking about setting up an office or acquiring furniture for your home, etc., Kingdom Books and Stationery should be your first point of call. With over 40 years' experience in the industry, we stock and supply a wide variety of globally sourced office and home furniture, stationery, and equipment. Visit our head office, Osu Akwaje, or our office near the Osu Stadium. We're also in Tema Committee 1, opposite Olam SHS, Kumase KNUSD Campus, UCC K Coast and now at the Marina Mall Airport City or call us 0302-764101-764209 or 7627792. Visit our website www.kingdomgh.com. It's important to create a productive and supportive working environment by investing in your employees' health. With a leading international track record, Apex Health Insurance is regulated and licensed by the National Health Insurance Authority to provide medical insurance services to institutional clients, families, and individuals. Apex Student Package and International Medical Solutions are all here to cushion you. Visit Apex Health Insurance Office at Zion House, Boundary Road, Shiashi or call 0501-683-914 or 0232-000-015 in Kumasi. We are located opposite Prempe College, Sofoline and in Takradi, Apex Health, your preferred health insurer. Hi, my name is Kwesi, and welcome to my do-it-yourself class. Today, I'm going to walk you through how to activate Momo. You can now self-activate your Momo on your phone by yourself wherever you are. It's as simple as DIY. So do it yourself. Activate your Momo wallet now. Oh, and don't forget to like and subscribe to my class. So now you know. Activate your MTN Momo account on your phone all by yourself. Just dial star 170 hash. Follow the message prompts and that's it. So go on and pay bills, make and receive payments, and buy airtime using MTN Momo. Because we're good together. We dare for you everywhere you go. to my house this early morning. I hope all is well. All is never well with me, Onik Papo. After paying three times for the land for my project, the construction workers are not giving me wahala. From material overestimation to small, small stealing, I am tired. I told you so, Efokoku. 
It's all because you are trying to become builders when you're corporate workers and business people. Edlam has products tailored to meet your needs. Villas 3 at Amrahia, where there are finished homes, conveniente, also at Amrahia, where it's contemporary but super affordable apartments. Prices start from $35,000 and the avant-garde located in Adrigano, which has sleek luxury apartments. For more information, please visit edlamhousing.com or simply call 0270-166-166. Edlam Housing, where spacious homes cost less. Now this is something you've never experienced before. An evening of legendary performances and music. Uh-huh. On the 1st of January 2022, exactly. three big GH legends shall rock one stage. Yes, it's the Cap Fam Legends Night mm. featuring Charles Kojo Fosu, a.k.a. Deal, oh. Daddy Lumba. Iron Boy, Abrontia, Machidini. Maestro, Mr. Music Man, Coach Joe NG. New Year, January 1st, 7 p.m. Shot the Grand Arena, Accra International Conference Center. This is a VVIP show, so reserve your VVIP table early. Call 020-022-0202 or visit legendsnightgh.com or CatFam Dancing or All is Legon. It's the CatFam Legends Night with Coach ONG, Daddy Lumba, and a matching day day. This event is powered by Terra Vista. Christmas traditions. Like the Piccadilly biscuits. And the Kaka Moto videos. And Christmas shoes. How about the big family jollof party? Oh, yeah. Do you remember the Bonnie M Christmas album? <laughs> and also remember Home Alone until you were watching my fun. Oh, yeah. Whatever your family's Christmas traditions, you can bring the family together this Christmas with the Vodafone Fix Broadband 2 March Christmas promo with up to 200% more data. Just add a minimum of 100 Ghana cities to your monthly fixed broadband bundle and enjoy more data this Christmas. Dial star 900 hash. Visit lbb.vodafone.com.gh or download my Vodafone app to subscribe. Terms and conditions apply. Vodafone. We bring So we lift up our voices 
Adoration. We all adore it. 